Um, I'm Dan, I'm one of the leaders here. Really want to welcome you if you're here for the first time and especially if you've come here on the back of CU Missions Week and somebody invited you along just to see what church was like. Really great that you could come this morning. I hope you're enjoying it and getting a taste of what church is like and what Jesus is about. Um, it's, it's that massively busy time of year, isn't it, where just everything's happening. I, I just wanted to say publicly on behalf of the elders, thanks so much for the Kaylee team who put on such a brilliant Kaylee the other week. Wasn't that amazing? What a great night that was. Uh, Janet and her team and Mary who cooked for 160 people single-handedly. That was pretty incredible. So well done, guys. Uh, for those of you who were involved in the prayer room, that was great. We just had unceasing prayer for that uh, three days, a week before last with one of you signing up after another, after another, going through those midnight things. There was many times I played chicken, and I was looking at that three in the morning slot thinking, shall I sign up? And then somebody just beat me to it every time. <laughs> so thank you. You know who you are. And uh, <clears throat> uh, just want to make you aware of one other thing before I uh, start preaching today, and that is that uh, on Tuesday this week, it is Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Day, as many of you will be planning. That means that Wednesday is the beginning of a period that Christians around the world called Lent, and it's the 40-day period leading up to Easter. And uh, some Christians, they, they particularly like to, to make something of that period as a chance to really engage with God in a fresh way, to, 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 to read the Word, to pray. And uh, many of you have maybe got plans already in place, or you, you've already got a routine that you follow, and I'm not trying to uh, change that at all, but I just want to give you an opportunity. Uh, as a bit of a first, I've written a devotional set of readings on the book of Jonah, and they're going to be released uh, on Wednesday this week, uh, one, a, one a day. If you want details of how you can uh, tune into that and uh, or sort of read that, then just check the weekly email, and there will be a link on there, and it will be uh, published each day, as I say, at probably six in the morning, so that you can get it before you go to work. And if you're wondering uh, whether that might be something you'd enjoy, probably the, the, the truth is this. If you, if you enjoy what I'm saying this morning and my preaching and, and you find it engaging and helpful, you might enjoy that blog. If you feel it's a bit lame, then you probably won't. So, uh, so anyway, that's, um, uh, that's the, the blog, and uh, you're very welcome to join me on that adventure as we go through the book of Jonah, which is a really exciting book to work through over this next few weeks. So anyway, today we're talking about uh, the book of Philippians. We're doing a series working our way right through the book of Philippians, and we're reading from chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So if you've got a Bible, you can read it, or it will be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Jesus. And we're going to read the following verses another week, but we're just going to really park in these verses for today. So let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for the wonder of your mercy. We want to thank you for grace that saved people like us. 
And I pray, Lord, that you'd open your word to us now. Lord, we come hungry for you, hungry to know you. Lord, I pray for anybody here who feels like an outsider this morning. I pray that you'd speak to them through your word. Let us go away changed from this place, Lord. Amen. Before I was a full-time Christian leader, my job was I was a civil engineer, a chartered civil engineer. In fact, I was a chartered civil engineering consultant. It's amazing, isn't it, when you add that word consultant onto something, it immediately gives you that edge of superiority. <laughs> and uh, I was a chartered civil engineering consultant for um, uh, 10 years or so. And uh, if you don't know what chartered civil engineering consultants do, is we, we generally sit behind desks and we type emails and we design dr- things and we draw drawings and we punch calculators furiously, we brainstorm, we solve problems. And then we send information out for other people to do something about it, for other people to build our great solution or scheme. And by my desk where I used to work, I had a coat peg. And on my coat peg, there was a bright yellow fluorescent jacket, largely unworn. And at my feet, there was a pair of safety boots, largely unworn. But sometimes, just occasionally, I'd get a phone call from uh, somebody building something on a building site that I'd been involved in designing, and they'd say, look, Dan, what, what you're saying on the drawing here doesn't make sense. We need you to come and take a look and tell us what to do here. And uh, the, the line of work I was doing it, it involved sort of underground um, pipe systems, and uh, so it would usually involve going down a deep hole in the ground. And my boss said to me, he said, we're going to need to send you on confined spaces training. That immediately filled me with dread, because I think, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, had just been released on the TV. <laughs> and I had dreams of being buried in a coffin underground and that, that sort of thing. But it wasn't quite that bad. But anyway, a group of us civil engineering consultants, we went down to a training day. And on one side of the table, on one side of the room, were the civil engineering consultants, all in our matching bright yellow unworn jackets. And on the other side of the room were some of the operatives, the people who for a day job, climbed down sewers and kind of cleaned them out, undid the blockages, and, and it's fair to say their coats were less clean than ours. And the day started with some instruction. And the instructor, he was very good, he, he talked for about an hour, and he, he said, and, and uh, without being unfair to the guy and, and not wanting to oversimplify what he was saying, his basic point was this, if you go down a deep hole in the ground, be careful. And at the end of that hour, he said, right, I'm just going to spring a test on you just to check if you've been listening. And and, and, uh, he said, here's the question. He says, what one thing do you need to remember when you go down a hole in the ground? And it was like somebody had fired a starting pistol for us civil engineering consultants on one side of the room. We grabbed our pens and we started writing furiously, be careful, be really careful. Slammed our pens down, looked over our shoulders, checked we'd uh, beat everybody else. That's fine, yeah, good. Looked over the other side of the room. And the guys were sort of fiddling with their pens and, and sort of started sort of doodling and writing something. There was one guy in the middle, and I remember him. He was, he was deeply stressed. These guys, I think, to be fair, they'd probably less, left school at the earliest opportunity in their lives. And this had brought back every fear they had of, of any sort of school context. And this guy, he said, he said I, my mind's gone blank. I can't remember anything that's been said. And the instructor was 
gently said, well, it's really not hard. Just write down what you think the answer is. And he coached him along, but th this guy was deeply uncomfortable, and, and I remember observing that. Anyway, the, the tables got turned, because after lunch, we had the practical session. And uh, the instructor said, well, so what we're going to do is we're going to put you into some safety suits and breathing apparatus, and we're going to send you down a tunnel network, and it's going to be a confined space. You'll have to crawl along. And then five minutes in, I'm going to blow a whistle, and then you have to get out of that tunnel as quickly as you can because there's an emergency. So we all knew this was made up, and it was, you know, it was just a, a sort of showroom in the middle of uh, an industrial estate somewhere. So we, we started climbing in, and it was fine, and crawling along. It was a little bit sugly, but it was, it was fine. The whistle blew. And then we put on our breathing apparatus, and we started crawling out. About halfway out of the system, my breathing mask started beeping. And I thought, well, no problem. We'll just keep going here. And some of the others started doing that as well. We got out, and the instructor said to us, he said, so how did you get on? And we were like, yeah, fine. Totally fine, really easy. And he pointed to me. And two of the others, he said, well, you died, and you died, and you died. I was like, what? He said, you, you, you hyperventilated. You used all your oxygen supply because you were panicking. And I was like, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. <laughs> he said, you were. You were panicking. He said, he said, that's what happens when you're in a confined space. So then I think just for fun, they put us down another pipe. And they said, the whole point of this exercise is we're just going to put you down a pipe that's too small for you to be in, and we're going to leave you there for 20 minutes. And the point is to just for you to get the feel of the apparatus and what it's like to be in a confined space. I quickly got the feel for that. I'm a six foot two civil engineering consultant, and they put us inside a four foot diameter pipe with 10 of us in close proximity. And I've got to say, it, it was just painful. It was uncomfortable to be stuck down there like that. And at the end of the day, they, they gave us that feedback sheet where they said, what was the one thing you've learned today? And this was my one learning point. Civil engineering consultants don't belong down four-foot pipes. <laughs> now, this passage today that we've read is about what is uncomfortable. Paul is drawing attention to what is uncomfortable. He's teaching them how to live a life worthy of the gospel that they've received. And he's saying, there are things about this life that won't appear comfortable for you, and he's teaching them how to do it. Paul himself was not comfortable. He was in prison when he was writing these words. Yet Paul is teaching them that, that an uncomfortable life isn't to be avoided, but to be embraced. And he says, actually, the very root to joy in your Christian life isn't to avoid discomfort, but rather to take it on for the sake of others, for the sake of serving other people. The passage teaches and challenges us at the very deepest level that there are things about following Jesus that cause us discomfort. And the, model, the role model for this is Jesus. And Jesus who we've been celebrating this morning and remembering his death and his resurrection. He's the one whose very stature from before the beginning of time filled the entire universe. He is and was God, the Son of God. And yet, he chose the confines. He came from heaven to earth. He chose the confines of a human body. He chose the confines of a sinful world. 
He chose the confines where he became the servant of others. And he humbled himself to death on a cross. Today, the starting point, as we talk about humility and relationships with one another, the starting point isn't to start thinking about yourself. But the point is this, to start thinking about Jesus and what he's done in you. Paul, in chapter 1, used these words. He said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He said, this is my confidence about you in leading you in a life where you will treat other people better than you treat yourself. He says, I know this can happen because God is at work in you. That God's power can produce this in your life. And he uses this line of argument. He starts, four times he uses the word if. He said, if this is true, if this is true, if this is true, and if this is true, then do this. Now, when he uses this uh, grammatical structure, when he says if this and if this and if this, he's not putting it out there saying, I wonder if anybody thinks this, or I wonder what your opinion is, whether that whether you agree with this or not. The context is saying this. It's kind of rhetorical. He's saying, if this is true, he's saying, if you're a Christian, then these things are certainly true for you. So as I'm going through these four things, if you're a Christian here today, I want you to uh, identify with these things and, and kind of put ticks along them as we go through them. If, you're not, if you don't consider yourself a Christian here today, then these things can be true of you, even at the end of this morning if you put your trust in Christ, or if you come on an Alpha course and you find out more. And he starts with this one. He says, if anyone has any encouragement from being united with Christ. He starts off on this level. It's about your relationship with Jesus. And he starts off on this doctrinal point. Some of you here are big doctrine people. Right? That is, that, that you love truth, you love thinking, you love things that stimulate your mind. And this is where Paul's starting with us. If you're not a, such a doctrine person, then don't worry, he's going to come on to the experiential in a moment. Actually, a healthy Christian has a balance of both of those things in their life. But he says, if anybody has any encouragement from being united with Christ, and it's that phrase, united with Christ, that particularly excites him. He's saying it's a cause for great encouragement. He said, as a believer, your life is joined with Christ. And he's already talked about this in chapter 1. You you might remember that uh, he's talking about his own life and his own death. And he's saying, I don't know which to choose, really, life or death. It's all the same to me because I'm with Jesus. I'm with Christ. His assurance of being in Christ reduced his fear of death to zero. That was just one fruit of his unity with Christ. And these are some of the other things that Paul talks about frequently in the New Testament in terms of unity with Christ. (laughs) The first one he talks about is that he, he talks about our relationship with God. He uses this word, he says, you have been justified through faith and you have peace with our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a a legal term, the word justified, used to describe your relationship with God if you are in Christ. And it simply means this, it means not guilty. It's when a judge brings down a hammer on your case and he says, dismissed, acquitted, not guilty. 
And the truth is this, that every one of us in this room has done enough to be put down by God forever. We've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. Yet through the work and person of Jesus Christ, God looks at him and he sees the perfection of Jesus and he bangs the hammer down and he looks at you and he says, not guilty, not guilty. He gives you a new name. And uh, I, I don't know if you remember the Narnia stories. I'm reading them to my daughter Evie at the moment. But uh, do you remember the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where uh, Edmund... Uh, Edmund's just a bad kid, isn't he? You get one in every family. <laughs> not my family, but... <laughs> not in Brunsfield, surely, no. Um, and he's a bad kid. He, he lies. He, he deceives. He, he, he kind of pretends that he hasn't been to Narnia. He, he gets... Uh, he gets bewitched by some enchanted Turkish delight. He gets enslaved, and, and he ends up, he's the bad guy for whom Aslan ends up having to give up his life. And at the end of the story, there's that fascinating bit where Aslan makes these four children, kings and queens of Narnia, and he goes along the line, and here, there's Peter, man, he's high in battle, and he says, King Peter the Great, Susan, he says, Queen Susan, the gentle. Lucy, little Lucy, little sweet Lucy. She, she's brave. Queen Lucy, the brave. And you think, oh, Edmund, what's coming here then? <laughs> Edmund, the disappointment. Edmund, the disaster. Edmund, the traitor. Edmund, the betrayer. What could we call him? Any manner of names here. And Aslan names him. He gives him a new name, and he says, you're Edmund, the just. Edmund, you're, you're right, you're just. When God puts you in Christ, he gives you a new name. And it's not a name of your earning, it's a name that's given to you. And God says you are righteous in his sight. That's what it means to be justified. It's just as if I had never sinned. Here's another one. The Bible says about you, if you're in Christ, it says you're sanctified. Not only declared right, but God is at work in you through the person of the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus. Here's another one, that you're adopted as his son. The Spirit received you and brought your, about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You've been brought into God's own family, no longer as a slave, no longer as an outsider, but somebody who has been made his very own, his own child, and you speak to God on the most intimate terms. You've been given access to God through Jesus Christ. And uh, this week on Friday, I was, uh, I, was, I was at an Alpha Team meeting, and we got this um, sort of rare privilege, really, of going to see the BBC studios in Glasgow, which is something I've never done before. And, and actually, when you go in, not anybody can just waltz in there. There's sort of security barriers and security guards, and you have to have a pass, and somebody has to invite you in. And somebody had invited us in, somebody who knew somebody, and said, hey, come and spend the day here, and, and we'll show you the BBC Scotland studios Man, we had the inside track. It was great. We, we got to see the studio where Mrs. Brown's boys gets filmed. Yeah. And we got, we got, to, uh, we got to see uh, the, the, the studio where the news is presented. I got to sit in Jackie Bird's chair. Yeah, I did. Jackie Bird, yeah, the, the, the main news presenter for Scotland. I got to sit at the desk where Sports Scene is, is televised every Sunday night. Yeah, sports scene, yeah. And uh, I, I got to eat in the BBC canteen. It was a, it was a privileged position. While you, uh, while you decide whether, how much privilege was involved in that tour, 
I want you to contemplate this much greater privilege that it says that God has raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Talk about an inside track. That's where you have been put right now on a level with Jesus in eternity, seated with heavenly places in Christ. You're on the inside track with God. You've been redeemed. You know it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God has paid a price for you. You've been forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And we don't even have time to talk about what it means to be hidden with Christ, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that you're citizens of heaven in Christ Jesus, that you're God's temple, that you belong to God in Christ Jesus, that you are accepted in him. Does anybody find that encouraging? I said, does anybody find that encouraging today? Everybody say amen. Yeah, we're just not that kind of church, are we? But... The the truth is this, even as we read these things and we think, isn't it amazing? (laughs) Through something that I never did, but Jesus did for me, this is what my relationship with God is like now. Incredible. No wonder Paul says, take encouragement for this. Before we get on to the hard stuff, he says, I want you to talk about what is true of you. God wants you to be an encouraged Christian. And everything is just so serious and sad. Even when Christians talk about things like Lent, they often have that sense of, oh, what are you giving up for Lent? (laughs) Chocolate, yes, I'm giving up chocolate. (laughs) Here's the thing, Jesus said, John the Baptist's disciples said to, to, to Jesus, they said, how come, how come that John the Baptist's disciples, we fast, but your disciples don't? And Jesus says, because I'm here. <laughs> he says, because the bridegroom's here. He says, they're not going to fast while I'm here because it's a party. Do you know, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. We're not trying to have to please God out of our own human effort this morning. We please him because of what Jesus has done for us and we can be joy-filled Christians full of encouragement. So today, take courage. Uh, here, here's another one. So He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love. So not just the doctrinal, now the emotional. Here's the truth. You can blow every relationship in the world. Some relationships you will blow. Here's one that you cannot blow. Jesus will always love you. Corrie Ten Boom said, there is no pit that so deep that God's love is not deeper still. We sang earlier, you go before me, you go behind me, and if I wander, love will find me. That's God's great commitment to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He will never stop loving you. And so Paul says, has anybody got any comfort from his love? If you're feeling unloved this morning, here's the wonderful truth. God loves you. He delights in you. He's for you. And that word comfort speaks of something when we need it the most. Maybe you're facing loss. Maybe you're grieving. The wonderful comfort of God's love. And that love can never be taken away from you. Paul says, For nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Here's a third encouragement. He says, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, from God's love, he says, here's another one. If anybody has any encouragement from the common sharing in the Spirit, this is something experiential. In your Bible, it might say the fellowship of the Spirit. And it's that sense of God's Spirit, His indwelling presence, come and filling His people. Paul always writes about it in the New Testament. Whenever you come across the Spirit, he's always got this element of surprise in his voice. He says, these are the powers of the age to come breaking through right now. And he says, this is amazing. You look around church on a Sunday morning, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are here. People speaking, saying, this is what I feel God is saying. Maybe you use the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the evidence that God is at work in your life. And as Christians, we use those to serve one another, and it's the evidence of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we get encouraged when we come to worship God. It's just not all one way, singing our songs to God. He comes and encourages us and speaks to us. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond when we're outside of these walls and we're by ourselves and and we feel that deep inner voice and courage that the Holy Spirit brings us through his presence. When you feel alone, when you feel isolated and under Uh, Under duress, the Spirit of God comes and helps you. I was reading a story this week of a uh, a pastor in China uh, back in the 1970s, Pastor Chen. And uh, he was in prison for 18 years at the height of the communist regime and oppression of Christian pastors. They they imprisoned them and uh, they saw them a threat to the state. And it was a particularly overrun prison. It was... Disease was rampant. The, the, the idea seemed to be that many would die there. It was overpopulated. There was no space for him to, to pray or get time with God. And he struggled there. And, and as a particular mean thing, they, they said to him one day, they said, okay, pastor, your new job is to clean out the silage tank every day. And the silage tank was what contained the fertilizer for the fields, and, and it was full of toxic fumes. And just by going into this environment, he, he risked dying, and perhaps that was part of the thought. And he went down there, and he, and he said the stench was unbearable. And he began his tasks of cleaning, and, and uh, a couple of days in, he thought, I can't do this. He said, but then another thought came across my mind. He said, I realized that the stench was so bad, there was nobody for miles around. He said, so I began to worship and sing at the top of my voice. I began to recite every scripture that I knew. And I began to tell God how much I loved him. He said, and that place, that silage tank became like a garden for me. He said, where I enjoyed sweet fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And he sang a a really old gospel song where he says, he walks with me and he talks with me. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's to know God experientially in your life. If you haven't picked up the thread so far, what we've talked about so far, that being united with Christ, the, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that's that kind of prayer that Christians pray sometimes, called the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's that Trinitarian experience of, that the Christian has of God. And then Paul adds one more onto his list on this occasion. He says, if anyone has any tenderness or compassion... Here's the other thing he draws their attention to, that their life has changed. United with Christ, loved by God, 
the presence and fellowship of the Spirit. And he says, and look at how your lives have changed. Look at the tenderness and compassion that has produced in you. Here's what God does with us when we know him. He makes us more soft-hearted. We find ourselves less hard-hearted than we used to be. We find ourselves prompted to do things that we didn't feel inclined to before. Somebody once said, it's not that Christians are better than other people, but we're better than we used to be. Because God begins to get hold of our life. He begins to change us. Suddenly you find yourself walking down the street past the homeless person, and you think, I, I just need to talk to them. I need to speak to them, because I, there's just something in me that just feels bad for them. Or that person that nobody else talks to at work, and, and, or, or in your course, and you think, like, you know what, I'm just going to go and sit next to them. Why? Because God's at work in you. It's the evidence of the gospel in us. And Paul says, these things are givens for you. If, if these evidences of the gospel aren't there in your life, then, then I, I want to just invite you to come on the Alpha course this Tuesday night. We'd love to have you there. And if you want to explore more of what about faith in Jesus looks like. So Paul says, in the light of these things, if this and this and this and this, he says, then if that's true, then... Let's see what follows. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So he starts by saying, having the same love, being one in spirit, being of one mind. He says, work towards the very closest kind of unity in your relationships with one another. Independence isn't the supreme value of the Christian. It's unity with other Christians. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing out of selfish ambition. Do you know what selfish ambition feels like? I'm sure you do. I do as well. We, we have it instilled in us from the very earliest age. I asked my young son, Ben, he's five years old the other day. I said, you know, we were having the whole what do you want to do when you grow up conversation. I said, what do you want to do when you grow up, Ben? And without batting an eyelid, he didn't even look up. He says, I'm going to be king. <laughs> I, 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 I smiled and I said, said uh, what's with the king thing? You know, why, why, why do you want to be king? And he said, so I don't have to carry the bags. <laughs> I thought, Man, this five-year-old boy whose life has clearly been afflicted so far with <laughs> us treating him as a pack horse. That's, that, that's simply not, not true. I thought, the only bag he ever carries is his school bag to school every day. And yet clearly in his heart, he's despising that moment every day. And he's thinking, one day when I'm king, I will turn to my subjects, mum and dad, and I'll say... There's a new rule around here. You're going to be carrying my rucksack from now on. So you, you, you've probably grown up enough now to realize that you will never be king. But you do know what it is to have ambition and think, I want to be the best. I want to be the top. People get encouraged to think that way. And there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. The Bible doesn't forbid ambition here. What it's forbidding is selfish ambition. What it's saying, doing it for yourself. 
Doing it to make yourself look good or for your own satisfaction is not the primary cause for the reason. If you want to succeed in life and be your best, then do it for other people. If you want to get a brilliant job, then do it so you can provide brilliantly for your family. If you want to make a difference in, if you want to do a high profile thing, then do it in a way that impacts the maximum people that you can in the world. Make sure that your behavior and your lifestyle and your works don't promote yourself, but promote others. Nobody says my ambition is to be second. Yeah, that's a noble ambition in God's kingdom. Because Jesus himself took a towel and he washed his disciples' feet and he said, do this for one another. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, forgive the archaic language, it says men, you could say, say men or women here. Don't desire to be the principal man in the church. Be lowly, be humble. The best man in the church is the man who is willing to be a doormat for all to wipe their boots on, for the brother for the brother who does not mind what happens to him at all, so long as God is glorified. He says, don't have selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability or importance or wit. In Greek mythology, there was a character called Narcissus. And the big mistake he was, he was a godlike character, and he, he was a beautiful person, and he made the mistake of looking one day at his reflection in the water, And he was so attracted to himself that he could never bear to look away again. And he died just looking at his reflection. People say that narcissism is one of the characteristics of our generation. They also say that our generation doesn't like to be told that they're narcissistic. So I'm not telling you that. You know, self-centeredness, looking at ourselves all the time, paralyzes us, whereas deferring to others saves us. It says, in humility, value others above yourselves. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know, knowledge is a wonderful thing. Education is a wonderful thing. But there's a misappropriation of knowledge and education which is harmful. And that is this, when it's not mixed with love, It's when we find ourselves, for example, we we read about something, and because we've read something, we feel like I've got some education, I've got some understanding of this now, therefore, I know what it's like. Some of these things may apply for you, but you you can, as a younger person, you can read a paper about parenting or a book, and you think, oh, it doesn't sound too hard. And then you look at people around you, and you see all these parents, and you think, Gosh, they're really making a hash of it, aren't they? Because I've read about parenting, and I I just know what you're meant to do. I've read Gina Ford. They just need a bit more structure here. And uh, the truth is this. We don't mix it with love. Love says, gosh, I've got some knowledge, but, you know, I understand. I, I I can help you. I'm not going to judge you. Education and experience, when wrongly applied, result in us becoming less loving people who look down on others. The same can be true of you when you're in a later stage of life. You can end up looking down on younger people 
In fact, the Bible says to young people, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, because clearly that's the, the default in life, that people start looking down on you when you're young. And the older people, they say, oh yeah, I remember what it was like to be young. I had all that enthusiasm. When they grow up, they'll understand. The Bible says, no, don't be like that. Don't look down your nose at people. Learn from them. If you're a Christian and you disagree with another Christian, before you publicly start talking about what you disagree with, talk about all the great things about them first. Talk about all the things you love about them and that you could learn from them. Humility is not to think less of yourself, it's but to think of yourself less. If you're a doctor, it doesn't mean that you equate your learning with what somebody's opinion is. But it means you serve somebody in love, not just simply as a, a statistic. If you're a teacher or a parent, it doesn't mean that a child's immature viewpoint is equal to yours, but in love you serve that child and make it your ambition that one day they will exceed you in every way. I want you to take a moment right now just to think of someone who you would not consider your relational equal, somebody that you probably wouldn't go and have a chat with in the coffee time by default in terms of it being a two-way conversation. Maybe that's an older person. Maybe that's a child. Maybe that's somebody from a totally different social background. And I want you to just think how you could serve them in a meaningful way this week. Do something that you wouldn't normally do. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's bring this to a conclusion. Let's bring this back to Jesus and Perhaps the band could join me as we're going to sing a final song in just a moment. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. The God who filled the universe, deferring to you. Coming down from heaven to earth for you taking on human flesh for you. Getting a towel and washing your feet. Suffering and dying on a cross, not for his own sins, but for yours. And maybe today, maybe today you, you, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian here today or you're making that decision and, and perhaps here's the issue that You've been deferring to your own thinking and your own viewpoint and you're just waiting for you to think the right thoughts and here's the truth. It would be so much better to defer to the one who has deferred to you in love and given himself for you. God's mercy for us is incredible and he wants us to be merciful people who extend that wondrous mercy to people that we meet.
Let's take a moment to respond to God as we close here. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Lord, we want to pray that you'd open up our eyes to see your great love for us and your great service of us that we might serve one another. We want to thank you for every great encouragement that we have in Christ. Lord, I thank you that our experience of you is not a dour one, but Lord, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. How wonderful to know you, Lord, the wonder of your mercy. We don't want to forget it for one moment, Lord. How good to be reminded of it afresh today. If you want to put your trust in Jesus today and ask him to forgive your sins and put your hope in him your trust in the work you've done on the cross I just want to invite you to raise your hand just as we're praying now I'd just love to pray for you or meet with you afterwards and is there anybody who would like to do that this morning just raise your hand if so I'm not going to draw this out but if there's anybody who'd like to do that I'd love to chat with you great let's sing together